Well, my name is Brandon Stern. I'm one of the pastors here and a member of our preaching team. And as we kick off Passion Week this Sunday, we're going to be taking a brief break from our study through 1 Samuel to focus in on some beautiful gospel truths from the book of Colossians. So please turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. It can be found in the chair Bibles in front of you on page 1043. And our hope and prayer is that this brief study in Colossians today and on Good Friday and next week on Easter, that this study will help fix our eyes on Jesus as we celebrate all that he has accomplished for us through his substitutionary death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. So Colossians 1, 13 through 14. Well, have you ever seen those videos of parents making some incredible saves of their children when their children are like falling off something or about to be hit by something? They're really popular like around Father's Day, but I love those videos. Um, Maybe there's a, a baby that's on a couch. The dad's lying there. He looks asleep, but the baby goes to like tip off the front of the couch and the dad like just grabs her right before she hits the ground. Or there's always the classic ones on the swing set. You know, the dad's just pushing the baby on the swing and then all of a sudden, little baby flips out, but dad's right there to grab her before she falls on the ground. Uh, Bikes and sleds are often really involved in these videos. Sometimes there's a kid just biking down a hill and then you see dad just come out of nowhere, sprint, scoop up the little one right before he just gets smacked. And then um, as I was researching this for the sermon, guys, I was watching some videos There was one kid who rode an escalator on the outside all the way up. This is at a mall. So he's like 20 feet up. It's like a story above. And the dad comes running over. The kid got to the top and fell. And he fell like 15 feet. But dad was there and caught him and everyone was okay. And I'm sure as uh, parents, we have all had our own stories of some epic saves we've done for our children, right? where we've told them, you wouldn't be alive today if it wasn't for me. (laughs) And I'm sure our parents have similar stories of us. This is what parents do. We we keep our children um, alive through all kinds of crazy things that happen. But what's often true in these videos is that since the kids are so small, they really seem to have no idea what has just happened to them, right? They seem blissfully unaware of the level of danger they were in and what their parents just did to protect them. And I think as Christians, similarly, it's easy for us to be uh, unaware of all that our Heavenly Father has done in saving us. You see, maybe we've grown too familiar with the gospel message, and it doesn't really grip or capture our hearts like it used to. Maybe we've never really learned about all that God has actually accomplished in saving us. So maybe we are like those children that don't even realize the danger they were in. And so what God has done for us doesn't really seem all that amazing after all. So whatever the reason may be, the unfortunate reality for many of us is that we miss out on the opportunity to be as joyfully thankful to God as we could be. You see, there is a connection between our level of understanding of what God has done for us and our thankfulness to God. If we aren't really aware of all that God has done in saving us, then we really won't be that grateful. However, if we really begin to grasp what the Bible teaches us about our sinful condition 
and our desperate need for Jesus Christ, then our thankfulness to God will go through the roof. So in our passage this morning, the Apostle Paul is wanting to fan our joy and our thankfulness to God into flame. His goal in these few verses is to create in us a joyful gratitude to God for all that God has done for us. He wants us to clearly understand what God has accomplished for us so that our hearts overflow with joyful praise and thanksgiving to God. So this is what Colossians 1 13 and 14 are all about. These verses are designed to answer this important question. Why, Christian, why should we joyfully give thanks to the Father? So before we look at the text together, let's pray and ask for God's help as we study his word. Father, we are asking for you to help us overflow with joyful gratitude to you for all that you have done for us in Jesus Christ, your son. Father, give us eyes to see and hearts to understand the great salvation you have accomplished for us. Overwhelm us with your grace and mercy. Cause our hearts to to sing your praises as we study your word now and do this for your glory and our good and our joy in you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. So let's look at Colossians 1 together. We'll start back at verse 9 for some context. And notice that verse 9 begins by Paul explaining what he is praying for the Colossian Christians. He writes this, Colossians 1, beginning in verse 9. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. Well, if any of you are ever wondering what to pray for me about, there it is. (laughs) I'd love for you to just pray this prayer for me. Isn't this good? Isn't this a great prayer? These are the things we want to be praying about for each other as a church. But notice how he concludes what he's saying here. Look with me again at the end of verse 11. Paul is wanting the Colossian Christians to joyfully give thanks to the Father who has enabled them to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. So as Paul wraps up what he is praying for, he finishes with a call for joyful thanksgiving. He wants us to be joyfully giving thanks to the Father. Paul's desire is for Christians to be thankful, joyfully thankful. He wants us to feel overwhelmed with gratitude to God for all that he has done. And so what he is going to do in verses 13 and 14 is give us three powerful reasons why we should be overflowing with joyful thanksgiving to God. And that's what we have the joy of studying together this morning. So look with me at verses 13 and 14. Paul writes, he, that's the father, the father has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of God of the son he loves. In him, 
we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So why, Christian, why should we joyfully give thanks to the Father? First, because he has rescued us. Second, because he has relocated us. And third, because he has redeemed us. So let's look at each of these together now. First, we should joyfully give thanks to the Father because he has rescued us. So let's think about this for a minute. If God had to rescue us, it implies that we needed rescuing, right? That we were in a bad situation and needed to be brought out of it. Because people who are okay don't need rescuing. It's people who are in trouble, who are lost in the woods, who are drowning out at sea, who are captured by bad guys. These are the ones who need rescuing. So when Paul says that the Father has rescued us, he is implying that our condition was one in which we needed to be rescued. We were in trouble and needed outside help to save us. So what exactly did the Father rescue us from? Paul says he has rescued us from the domain of darkness. Now this has an ominous ring to it, but what exactly is the domain of darkness that we've been rescued from? Well, the first thing we have to realize is that Paul is not talking about this physical space that we can see and touch. He's talking about spiritual realities here. And this is so important for us as Christians to remember. There is so much to this life that is beyond what is merely physical. That's beyond what we can see and touch. There is a whole spiritual dimension to our existence that the Bible regularly talks about. There are invisible forces of evil that are at work in this world to spread chaos and disorder, to incite rebellion against God and his ways. Things are never just physical. And this is why Paul says in Ephesians 6, 12, for our struggle, Christians, is not against flesh and blood, not against what is physical, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. So do you see what Paul is saying? There is way more going on in the world than that meets the eye. These are spiritual forces of evil that are actively waging war against God and his people. They hate God, and because God loves you, Christian, they hate you and want to destroy you. So there is this spiritual, invisible realm that exists that is hostile to God and his people. And the point Paul is making in Colossians 1 is that all of us are born citizens of this kingdom of darkness. All of us, without exception, are born needing to be rescued from the domain of darkness. So what is it about the domain of darkness that is so bad? Why do we need to be rescued from it? Well, let's begin by considering who the ruler of the domain of darkness is, and that will help us understand why it is such a horrible place to be. The Bible is clear that the king of the kingdom of darkness is Satan. He is God's enemy, and he is in passionate opposition to God and his purposes. He is evil and wicked and terrible in every way. Listen to how the Bible describes Satan. He is a tempter, ruler of demons, the evil one, enemy, the father of lies, murderer, ruler of this world, our adversary, deceiver, and accuser. 
In other words, there is no one worse who could rule the domain of darkness. Satan is wicked and evil and incredibly cruel to his subjects. So let's look at what it looks like to be a citizen of this kingdom of darkness. Listen to how Paul describes what Satan does to those in the domain of darkness. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, he writes, The God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So to be a member of the kingdom of darkness means that you are blinded by Satan from seeing the beauty and glory of Jesus Christ. Satan wants to keep you in darkness. He knows that if you were to truly see Jesus, you would see just how wonderful and magnificent and glorious he is, and you would fall in love with him. And so he does all in his power to blind you from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. And what is even more sobering and scary for us is that because we are blind, we are unaware of how bad our situation actually is. The reality is we have wholeheartedly bought into Satan's lies and we have joined him in his opposition to God. Listen to how Paul describes us in Colossians 1.21. He says, Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds as expressed in your evil actions. So it's not like we were neutral members of Satan's kingdom. No, every single one of us were passionate endorsers and supporters of Satan's agenda and priorities. We embraced his view of the world and so we hated God and wanted nothing to do with him. In Romans 5.10, we are actually called enemies of God. Our posture was one of active opposition and rebellion against God. We didn't care about pleasing him. Instead, we lived for our own sinful and selfish desires. There was nothing about us that loved God or wanted to know God. And it gets worse. In fact, our condition as citizens of the kingdom of darkness is so bad that in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, Paul describes us as being spiritually dead toward God. He writes, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. So notice that Paul talks about the ruler of the power of the air. That's another name for Satan. He is talking about what it means to be a member of the domain of darkness, what it means to live under Satan's rule. And he says it means that you are completely dead in your sins. Think about what that means. Think about his word choice there. He doesn't say you are sick in your sins. He says you are dead in your sins. In other words, there is absolutely nothing you could ever do to save yourself. Your spiritual condition is one of utter and complete helplessness. 
You are not just sin sick, you are sin dead. All you can do is just lie there, spiritually dead and helpless in your sins. And this is not true of just a few of the worst people throughout human history. The Bible is clear. This is true of every single person who has ever been born. Because of Adam and Eve's sin in the garden, because of their disobedience against God, every single person, without exception, is born into the kingdom of darkness. This is our spiritual reality. Whether you are a serial killer or a kind little old lady down the street who makes cookies for her new neighbors who move in, all of us, all of us, without exception, are born blind to the glory and beauty of Jesus Christ. Every single one of us is born alienated from and hostile to God. Every single one of us is born dead in our trespasses and sins. And the future for all those who are citizens of the kingdom of darkness is not good. Verse 3 of Ephesians 2 says that all of us, without exception, were by nature children of wrath. Every single one of us is justly deserving of God's wrath and judgment for our sin and our rebellion against him. Remember, we are his sworn enemies who hate him and want nothing to do with him, and we will be judged for that. In the end, God will judge Satan and all of his followers, and they will be cast into hell for an eternity of conscious punishment. So this is what it means to be in the domain of darkness. And this is why it is such good news to hear that God has rescued us from the domain of darkness. Now, at this point, we don't yet know how he has rescued us. We'll learn that in just a little bit. However, right now, right now, I just want us to marvel at the reality that even though we were his enemies, blinded to his glory and unable to save ourselves, God rescued us. He delivered us from our slavery to the cruel king of darkness. So that's our first reason for why our hearts should overflow with joyful gratitude to God. We have been rescued from the domain of darkness. So let's look at our second reason now. In rescuing us from the domain of darkness, God didn't leave us as refugees without a home or country to call our own. He relocated us into a new kingdom. Paul says the Father has transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. Colossians 1.13. We have been rescued from the kingdom of Satan and relocated to the kingdom of Christ. So this means, Christian, that we have been given new identities. It's like our old passports from the domain of darkness have been shredded and we have been given new passports that proclaim our citizenship is in the kingdom of the Son God loves. We have become God's people, members, citizens of Christ's kingdom. And what is it about the kingdom of Christ that is so wonderful? Why is it such good news that we are relocated to it? 
Well, first and foremost, to be relocated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's son means that instead of Satan as our king, we now have Jesus as our king. So we go from having the worst king imaginable to having the absolute best king imaginable. Listen to how Paul describes our new king in verses 15 through 20 of Colossians 1. He writes, Our King Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. That includes Satan and all his minions. The point Paul is making is that there is really only one true king in all the universe, and his name is Jesus, not Satan. Satan is not an equal power to Jesus. It's not like this is a fair fight between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of Christ. No, Christ is the creator and ruler over all things, including Satan. King Jesus' power and authority are limitless. There is nothing Absolutely nothing in all of creation that King Jesus doesn't rightfully say, mine. Everything has been made through him and for him. Verse 17, King Jesus is before all things and by him all things hold together. So unlike Satan who was created and had a beginning, the son of God is eternal. He has always existed. As John says in John 1, 1, the Son of God was in the beginning with God and was God. The Son of God is co-equal and co-eternal with the Father and the Spirit. And not only is the Son the creator of all things, he is also the all-powerful sustainer of all things. Everything, including the very atoms of the universe, are being held together by him. What Paul is saying is that everything exists and everything continues to exist because the Son of God wills it to. If he were to stop sustaining all things, everything would cease to exist. The entire universe, including life itself, is completely dependent on him. Let's keep reading. Look at verse 18. King Jesus is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross." by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That's incredible. The eternal, all-powerful creator and sustainer of all things willingly became a man who could bleed and die on behalf of his people. This is the kind of king Jesus is. Unlike Satan, who is only out for his own interest, King Jesus willingly sacrificed himself for us. He brought peace between us and God, the peace that was so desperately needed, remember, 
We were his enemies. He brought peace between us and God through his shed blood on the cross. So this is how we are able to be brought into his kingdom. Our king laid down his life for us. He sacrificed himself to pay our penalty for sin. You see, it was our sin and our rebellion against God that was causing the problem. That's what had to be paid for. God would not be just and righteous and true if he just ignored our sin. We were his enemies, hating him and opposed to him. But, but because God loved us, even while we were his enemies, he sent his son to die for us. So Jesus is able to reconcile us to God because he satisfied God's wrath toward our sin. Through his death on the cross, he paid the penalty that was owed for our sin and made it possible for us to be welcomed into his kingdom. Now we're going to talk more about this in a little bit, but for now, I just want us to just sit in this for a moment. Let's just behold the goodness, the grace, the glory, the greatness of our King. He rules and he reigns over all things. And yet he willingly, joyfully sacrificed himself for his people. Instead of leaving us blind to his glory, he opened our eyes to see and delight in his glory and beauty. Instead of leaving us as his enemies, he made us his dearly loved people. Instead of leaving us dead in our sins, he made us alive and welcomed us into his kingdom. He is a king who rescues us from Satan and sin. So what is this kingdom that Christ has brought us into? Well, theologians have often summarized the kingdom like this. The kingdom is God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. So what does this mean for us? What does it mean to be brought into this kingdom? It means that you become a member of God's people. Your identity has changed. You've been given a new passport. You are now a child of God. You are no longer a citizen of the kingdom of darkness. You are now a citizen of the kingdom of Christ. And to become a member of Christ's kingdom means you are no longer under the harsh rule of Satan, but under the good and wise rule of King Jesus that leads to your blessing and flourishing. And it means to be in God's place, the place where Christ is ruling from. That's why Paul says God has transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. But remember, just like we talked about earlier, there is way more to this world than just meets the eye. There is this whole invisible spiritual component to our lives that we cannot always see or touch, but it is no less real. So though we are physically present on the earth, spiritually, we are in the kingdom of Christ. Notice how Paul talks about this. He says the Father has rescued us from the domain of darkness. It's something that has happened. And the Father has transferred us 
into the kingdom of the son he loves. So this is true of us today, Christian, even though we physically still remain on this earth. However, when our king comes back to this earth, he will bring his kingdom with him and the spiritual and physical will be reunited as King Jesus establishes his kingdom here on earth. And on that glorious day, all of God's resurrected people will live on God's restored earth under God's good rule and blessing for all eternity. So in some sense, yes, the full realization of our citizenship in Christ's kingdom is still in the future. We are waiting for the day when Christ's kingdom comes in its fullness. And yet we can also say with the Apostle Paul that currently, right now, we are in the kingdom of Christ. This is the the spiritual reality that is true of all of God's people today. We have been rescued from the domain of darkness and we have been transferred into the kingdom of God's dearly loved son. So why should we joyfully give thanks to the father? He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and he has relocated us into the kingdom of the son he loves. So let's look at our third reason for joyfully giving thanks to God. And here is where we really see how all this rescuing and relocating is possible. Look at verse 14 of Colossians 1. It's beautiful. In him, in King Jesus, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So how are we able to be rescued and relocated? It's because we have been redeemed. And this has happened through our union with King Jesus. It is in him that we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is because as we saw earlier, right? King Jesus is a king who willingly sacrificed himself for the sins of his people. He paid the price that his people's sin was due on the cross and thus he redeemed us from the curse of sin. So this is the reason why we can be rescued and relocated. You see, it was our sin that kept us in the domain of darkness and made us enemies of God. And so in order for us to be brought into the kingdom of Christ, King Jesus first had to deal with our sin. And King Jesus did that 2,000 years ago on that Roman cross. When he died on that cross, he fully paid for all the sins of his people. Every last one of them. Your past sins, your present sins, and your future sins. All of them paid in full at the cross 2,000 years ago. And this is why Passion Week is such an important week for us as Christians. What we are remembering, church, what we are celebrating, what we are joyfully giving thanks for is that some 2,000 years ago, our king rode a donkey into Jerusalem to do battle with our greatest enemies of sin and Satan. And because the punishment for sin is death, King Jesus had to die in our place and for our sin. And he willingly did this in order to rescue us from our slavery to sin and Satan and to bring us into his eternal kingdom. 
And that is why Paul says it is in him that we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So if you are here today and you are not a Christian, you are not someone who is in King Jesus, I want to plead with you to turn from your sin and trust in Jesus. Ask him to rescue you from your slavery to sin and Satan and to bring you into his eternal kingdom. King Jesus is your only hope to escape God's wrath and to enjoy everlasting life with him forever. Redemption is only possible in Jesus. So call out to King Jesus today and ask him to save you. He is willing and able to rescue, relocate, and redeem all who cry out to him for mercy. For those of you who are trusting in Jesus Christ, we have so much to be thankful for. In remarkable grace and mercy, our Father has rescued us from that horrible domain of darkness. He has relocated us into the wonderful kingdom of the Son he loves. And all of this is possible because in King Jesus, we have redemption, the forgiveness of all of our sins. So this Easter season, may we never lose sight of all that God has done for us. Let's, <clears throat> let's talk about these gospel truths with our friends and family. Let's meditate and think on them until our hearts overflow in joyful, heartfelt thanks to God for all that he has done in rescuing, relocating, and redeeming us in his son whom he loves so much. Let's pray.